Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello, you're listening to a brand new episode of Popcorn Podcast with Lee and Tim, the final regular episode of 2022, where we're covering off James Cameron's Avatar, The Way of Water, plus covering off some very exciting trailer and movie news. I'm Timmy Fland, movie buff. And I'm Lee Livingstone, entertainment journalist. And we love to talk all things movies. We do. And it's finally time to talk about Avatar, the way of water. And what a way to finish off season eight. I just didn't think this movie would ever be released. (laughs) Here we are finally. This feels surreal. We're sitting opposite each other about to discuss this film. So in Avatar, the way of water, former military man Jake Sully still lives with his newfound family on the planet of Pandora. Once a familiar threat returns to finish what was previously started, Jake must work with Natiri and the army of the Na'vi race to protect their planet. Avatar The Way of Water is directed by the one and only James Cameron with a screenplay and story by Cameron, Rick Jaffa, Amanda Silva and further story credits for Josh Friedman and Shane Salerno. The Way of Water stars Sam Worthington, Zoe Zeldana, Sigourney Weaver, Stephen Lang, Kate Winslet, Cliff Curtis, Joel David Moore, Britton Dalton, Jamie Flatters, Bailey Bass, Jack Champion, among many others. Now, before we begin, we want to give a quick shout out to our new listeners in Malta. I know. Yeah, hello. We've had a lot of interest from there recently and we absolutely love to see it. So a big hello to all of you in Malta. Hello, hello, hello. Hello. Big avid podcast listeners, apparently. Thanks for listening. All right. On to the biggest battle whale in the water. (laughs) The elephant in the room, if you will. Yes. Avatar, the way of water. Here we are, Lee. My goodness, 13 years after Avatar broke box office records back in 2009, Mm -hmm. James Cameron has been working on a series of sequels, the first of which Avatar, the way of water. It's finally out. You can see this movie in cinemas right now and we have seen it and we have lots to discuss. Oh, we do. The biggest thing I want to discuss first is the obvious thing, Mm -hmm. which is the three hours and 12 minute runtime. Yep. Let's start there. (laughs) Yeah, let's start there. So the question is, overall, does it need to be this long? That's a complicated question. That is a loaded question. Indeed. Look, I'll answer it with this. Yeah. I did not feel its length. No. I was completely immersed. Did you feel the same? Yeah, same. same. Yeah. Does it need to be 3,012 minutes to answer that part of your question? (laughs) No. No movie needs to be that long. (laughs) But I think that what we were offered here from a world-building character piece, continuation of this story that then potentially extends into three more films, Mm. I feel it was necessary to establish significant amounts of groundwork in order for us to then explore further adventures that these characters will have on Pandora. It's interesting that you say groundwork work that's Mm. what a lot of this film feels like yeah whether you like that or not there's certainly a lot of time spent reveling in the visuals Mm. 
but it looks so damn gorgeous that I didn't mind. No, there is significant amounts of world building here, but I think it's important, especially where the story picks up where the other one left off, introducing a plethora of different characters. I mean, how long was the list of characters, you know, actors in the film that you listed and there's countless others as well. We'd be here all all (laughs) episode listing them out. But I think it's crucial and a big task ahead of all the writers, Cameron included, to be able to effectively invite us back into the world of Pandora, but then keep us there and hooked because there's so much more story to tell. You can't help feeling, though, that Cameron always wanted to be in this water world. And from what we've seen in this film, Mm. it seems like a large part of the next film that we're going to see is going to be in this section of Pandora as well. I can't wait. It's like he always wanted to be here. We know how much James Cameron loves water. Yes, he has an absolute love affair with water. You just have to look at his past filmography. Titanic, The Abyss, Mm -hmm. that had some really great groundbreaking visuals in terms of water moving. Volcanoes of the Deep Sea, which was a documentary style thing. Mm. And his Deep Sea Challenge expedition in which he smashed the record for the deepest solo dive at 10,908 metres into the Mariana Trench. I mean, look, he's an utter madman. <laughs> you can't deny he loves the ocean. Yes, he <laughs> he really does. Uh, and it's quite a personal story for him as well, based on that love and mm. affection of the ocean and the story that he builds around it. It's nurtured so beautifully, I find, and, and we can dive mm. into that, so <laughs> to speak, Lee. <laughs> In terms of the story, it's a lot more simplistic than the first film. Yeah. It's a revenge tale, basically. Yeah. And a man or Navi protecting his family. Yes, that's it. At the core, the universality of family Mm. and what comes with that, the complexities. I loved that layer of it. This is a family drama about protecting your family, your Mm -hmm. loved ones at any cost and countless times saving your children from precarious, dangerous situations as this movie plays out. They get into a lot of shit, these kids. Oh, they're really freaking naughty kids. (laughs) Slap on the wrist. Yeah. So as you said before, the purpose of this film is to expand this world of Pandora beyond Mm. the pocket and the tribe that we've already met. Yes. I can see some people have been calling it bloated, the film. Um, It's filled with spectacle. But this is what these movies have become. Mm -hmm. Their art. I would say their art. You know, and beauty is in the eye of the beholder. When it comes to art, you can stare at it for hours and hours and just revel in it. Or you can go, meh, if you've seen one floaty blue dude, you've seen them all. (laughs) (laughs) You know what I mean? Give me all the floaty blue dudes and gals (laughs) in this movie. That's a good point. I mean, yes, you could go away from having seen this film thinking it was bloated. Let's just use that word Mm. again. But I don't know. I found it rich, intriguing that world building is done with such consideration and care. And it, again, it's setting up so many more stories to come. Yep. It was necessary. I think the second one always needed to do a lot more work because I can see this story just going off into the mm. stratosphere, yeah. so to speak, and us coming along for that wild ride. But did it do the work in terms of the story? Yeah, I I had really no issues with the story. There are a few things maybe when we get to character Mm -hmm. that I had some gripes with. And obviously, uh, friends, this will be spoiler free, so we're not going to lift the curtain on all its secrets. But there were some things that didn't quite Mm. add up for me. There were conveniences. There were things that you're like, really? You just have to suspend belief sometimes in how and why characters Mm. are there and where they're headed. I felt the central storyline got sidelined a bit in terms of the spectacle. Okay. But like I said, it's up to you whether you feel that that was okay mm. or whether it was, you know, you spent too much time reveling in mm. the beauty of it. I mm. didn't mind it. No. It is a lot more simplistic, as I said, like Jake and Natiri and our parents to four children and yes. a stray human called Spider who hangs around with their eldest adopted daughter. Can't say much more about that, but mm. the kids just run around on this planet, um, get into trouble Jake saves them, Natiri saves them. Over and over. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) And yeah, it's just, it's at the very heart of it, that's what it's all about. And it's just this really simplistic tale of this person or Mm. people coming for revenge 10 years later. Despite its simplicity, Mm. I found the story quite enjoyable. And for me, it came down to the, how the characters were written and how they interact with each other. I Mm. loved the injection of youth into this story, which was something that we didn't get in the first one. Right. You had a lot of adults. Kids Mm. were, I guess, not really part of the conversation in the first Avatar film. 
But the kids are core and central to this film. I would just go so far as to say that one of the boys is almost the lead in the film right. uh, alongside Jake Sully, mm. uh, played by Sam Worthington. And I thought that was a really nice change from mm. the first film that we, we with kids, we got that bickering, that banter, yeah. all those sorts of things that just give it a different kind of life and feeling. And they all have such unique personalities yes. too. All the kids are very different for yeah. different reasons. Mm. I will say we do get straight into the action in this film, which was really exciting. I was mm. surprised by how quickly everything took off. Yeah, You know, we get, we get eased into this world, reintroduced to where Jake and Natiri are at and their kids mm-hmm. and then boom, it all kicks off. Yes. But then somewhere along the middle, again, that all gets pushed to the side while mm-hmm. we just get introduced to this new tribe, yeah. this new water world, this new ecosystem and it spends ages just kind of developing that out, yes. which is almost a separate movie within itself. It almost, and this is not very accurate a statement, but it almost feels like documentary in a way because you're being introduced to so many new creatures, yeah. flora, fauna, the interactions with that, a lot of learning about the water clan's culture and things like that, mm. which are rich and deep and there's symmetries between the rainforest Navi people and the mm. water clan people. It's just a really beautiful immersive i think that's probably yes. the best word to describe the the film in general is completely immersive but was that all at the expense of fleshing out or are they just rehashing the protagonist from the first one so they don't really need to do that there's a bit of rehashing in there look from my perspective i didn't have many issue with the simplicity of the story okay i was fully immersed yeah but everything you're saying makes sense they're chuckling yeah. a lot of fucking balls here there's a reason why the movie is three hours 12 minutes long yeah because there's so many balls up in the air do they catch them all maybe not right but i think they catch enough for it to work yeah i think the same themes are at play in mm. this film as there was in the original but it's certainly not the focus in this second one mm. The story does come to an emotional resolution, I will say that. And I think they have said that every film will come to its own singular emotional resolution, but it will also set up the next film. Yes, and this one, as we've discussed, certainly sets up more to come. Yes, and the bigger ecosystem as a whole, the whole five films. Or Did somebody say seven recently? Was there? Seven? I've never heard seven. No, I, was, oh, I don't know where I got that from. Let's talk a little bit about James Cameron. Mm. And as we've said, he's love affair with the ocean. He's playing in his wheelhouse now and that really comes across on the screen. It's also really important to Cameron that these films be as moving and as emotional as they are a spectacle. Yes. Does he succeed in the balance? I think you can tell I'm leaning towards maybe not, like it's more spectacle than story. Mm -hmm. But like I said, I'm really torn on whether I care. Like I'm happy to just roll around in these beautiful looking sequences for as long as possible. I I completely agree. The story doesn't come without its flaws. That's a takeout from this movie, of course. But I, not to say frivolously don't give a fuck about that. (laughs) Like there are things that I'm like, "Mm, I don't know, hopefully, they address them in movie three, maybe movie four, whatever. There's yeah. a bit of, you know, oh, okay, that was a bit lazy or something. There's or, a couple of threads that they threw in and yeah. didn't really tie up. And They uh, didn't tie up and maybe it's because they they might tie them up in the next one, which is always collateral damage when you're working with a franchise and a series of known in the can movies. Like three is basically 80, 90% in the can. So mm. you have to just move on the fact, okay, we didn't get all the answers in number two. Maybe we'll get the rest of the answers in number three. And that's just how sequels work yeah. these days. Look, I'm going to say this, Lee. The sequel king has done it again. Like, come <laughs> the on. sequel king. James Cameron has made, as you listed earlier, some of the greatest films of all time from a cultural zeitgeist, cultural impact perspective. Yeah. But the sequels he's made are... Piranha 2, The Spawning, which was his directorial (laughs) debut effort, which I haven't seen but people say is amazing. Obviously, Aliens is considered a greater film than Ridley Scott's original Alien. I'll give you that one. Yep. And then you've also got the one and only Terminator 2 Judgment Day. Yes. Which just broke the glass ceiling on cinema. Yeah. And then, you know, amongst the sequels that he's made, Titanic, I mean, fuck me. And then you have Avatar, which is part of this world. I mean, heck, He knows how to make movies, James Cameron. he does. And he took 13 years to make this one, so he's really, really taking his time. But, you know, the synergies between – it took him 13 years, 12 or 13 years in between Titanic and Avatar. So he's only made three films since 1997, which Mm -hmm. is just extraordinary. Just one more thing on James Cameron Mm. as a director as we roll into characters – 
I find, though, just on story, his dialogue at times, and he's very well known for writing quite cringy dialogue. Mm. I, I lost count how many times the kid called each other bro and cuz. <laughs> but did that <laughs> yes. start to irritate you? It actually did a little bit. It felt a bit superficial of what yeah. he thinks maybe a Pacific Islander tribe might speak like or a Maori tribe might speak like. Yeah. Which it felt a little cliched. Or are we just so old now that we don't know how the kids <laughs> the communicate kids, with the each other these days? <laughs> I don't know. I just found it a little irritating, but you just go with it, I suppose. It's, it's quite endearing, if you will. Do you know what's really interesting about the way this film was made? So after the first Avatar, maybe like a year or so after it came out, Cameron and his creative team got together and had like this little summit where they analysed what worked and what didn't. And then they went to work on doing better and spent the next, you know, decade, however long, developing something that would be even better. And I think that really goes to show when you sit back and you analyse what you've done well and what you haven't done well and then put that into the next project, that shows real creative maturity, I think. You don't just sit and forget. You go, hang on, let me look at what worked and what didn't. And he can really, like, reckon with himself and his team that they could do better better and that's what makes Cameron such a good filmmaker I think that that perfectionism and you know something that I strongly believe was a great creative choice was that Cameron brought several different writers into the writing room to help him map out the story arc over five films I think that's crucial that there are different voices different skill sets different ways to develop character in the world building here that don't just live out of James Cameron's pen or mind. It's like this beautiful collaboration. And I feel like there's more maturity in the story when you compare it to Avatar. Not to say that James Cameron didn't write a mature film in the first time mm. around, but you can tell that there are different perspectives and ways of approaching the story and the characters in this one that weren't there in the first. That's absolutely true. And speaking mm. of the characters, okay, mm. let's dive into that. Sam Worthington is back as Jake Sully. Jake Sully. Jake Sully. I know. One of us was going to do it. <laughs> Poor guy still can't hold an accent one way or the other. I know. How, oh how many times did he slip into all sorts of accents? Aussie, American. Yeah. I don't know, dude. Like, I think he was better. He was oh, yes. way better in Look, this. Look, yes, yes, definitely. Like, Not definitely, as wooden. Definitely a lot better. Did you get that accent when it first started? It was like he was trying to warm up into it. And right. I, and that, that's what makes me wonder whether James Cameron was more focused on spectrum than performance and yeah. getting getting the technical aspects of the mm. performances right because yeah. there's some really interesting technology used here mm. which we'll talk about a bit later mm. but was the focus too much in that area not enough in story and performance and directing but in terms of the maturity of his character and how he has grown mm. you know he was just a jarhead in the first one he's now a father of several yes. children adopted and otherwise and you felt like he was fighting for something more than just himself or the people. He was fighting for his own mini clan. And there was yeah. a lot of emotion in that. And I was I was actually at times quite impressed by the way he interacted and communicated with his family um, yeah. as a character, as yeah. an actor. Yeah, 100%. It was a great performance. He turned in a really good performance. It's just that accent kind of grated yeah. on me at the Took very, you out of at it, very clearly. Beginning. <laughs> but I did enjoy seeing that evolution of Jake mm. into a father and the emotion behind that and the fear when, you know, his children were in trouble and the relief and the, you know, just the joy of living on Pandora for these yeah. 10 years. I mean, we get a very quick glimpse of what life is like in those that decade mm. that's passed. I didn't realise it had been a decade. I mean, yeah. you see the children grow up, so of course it's been a long time. But, yeah, over a decade, I guess. Can we talk about Natiri, mm-hmm. played by Zoe Saldana? Yeah. Now, I'll give Cameron the benefit of the doubt here. He must have more in store for her in future instalments. But did you find she was significantly sidelined in this movie? I didn't until you said that. Right. Can you expand a bit more on that, please? she just kind of pops in. She parents with Jake Sully from Mm. time to time, but she doesn't drive much of the narrative. She's not really involved. Of course, in the third act, she gets her fucking moment. Yeah. Holy heck, Mm -hmm. yeah, you go, girl. 
But in between, there's a lot of characters that get a lot of emotional depth and development. Yeah. And Atiri doesn't get that from my right. perspective. Yeah, I see what you're saying. Her edges as a character are quite softened by becoming a mother. That's it. And Jake and the family. But there's still a fierce warrior in oh, there yeah. willing to sacrifice anything to protect her people and her family. And that comes out, yeah, in the third act, mm. definitely. It's there. You feel it for sure. Yeah, so maybe we will see more in the third movie. Uh, yeah, I hope so. I think so. I mean, even in a film that runs as long as it does, there are significantly more characters in this movie. It's just a shame that Natiri, being such a significant player in the first one, mm. was collateral damage to create more room for other characters. I feel like they could have yeah. injected her a little more, especially in, in parenting. She's like in the shadows. Jake is very front and centre in the discipline yeah. and the in the interaction with his kids. I thought, why can't Natiri be part of this? Or why can't she lead or own some of these conversations? Really easy mm. flips of who's of owning a conversation. Yeah. 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 I hear what you're saying. Sigourney Weaver is back, which was an interesting inclusion. And I guess we can't say too much about that and mm. how that's possible. She voices Kiri, which is Jake and Sully's eldest adopted daughter. Yeah, I don't want to say too much on how she is the voice and why she's back. But this character is grappling with who she is, where she comes from, where she fits in. And I really mm. enjoyed her journey. And again, yeah. I think some of her storyline was sidelined. You know, we got these really interesting tidbits of, yes. of who is she and, Super and compelling. where does she come from and mm. how is it Sigourney Weaver's voice yes. and all this kind of thing. There's a bit of exploration through the beginning of the film and then it gets sidelined. Yeah, she was used as groundwork for future films. You we think don't, so, definitely? Yeah, 100%. There will be more. James Cameron hasn't done the J.J. Abrams thing here where there's all these mystery boxes mm. where it's like, here's a little something that I might sprinkle over here, you know, talking about the Star Wars sequels <laughs> right. that never gets fucking addressed. And you're like, well, why did you plant that seed? What does that mean? Anyway, that sequel trilogy was an utter disaster. <laughs> but I think Cameron is very significantly making these choices and okay. dangling stuff in front of you and going, don't worry, we'll give you the answers next time. Folks, um, that's what I think. I'm going to hold you to that because he did say Ooh. that he did say he might stop at what was it three if if they weren't doing well. Oh, this is going to blow the socks off the world. I'm I guarantee you, yeah. he's going to make all five. I'm making that call right now. Okay, no question in my mind whatsoever. We'll the money's on the table. <laughs> Not mine though. <laughs> I'm poor. <laughs> Let's talk about the rest of the kids just briefly. Yep. So Natayim, played by Jamie Flatters, is the eldest golden child. He can do no wrong in Jake Sully's eyes. He's like yeah. a little mini soldier Jake. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> Even using the same language, Jake's brought his military or marine training into his family life. Yes. And he treats the kids a little bit like his squad. Well, they call him sir and stuff. Yeah. That was, I wouldn't say unsettling, but it was quite... Formal. But I guess in the Navi tribe, we did see a level of respect for true. people that were higher in the hierarchy of the clan. Yeah, so the kids, it makes sense that they would respect him in that way as, as the leader because he is the leader of the Na'vi tribe, isn't he? That's right, him and Natiri. Yeah. I, I guess what's really important to the Na'vi people is not bringing shame to your family. So establishing that sort of respect and that level of hierarchy mm. is responsive and respective of the mm. Na'vi culture too. But then also Jake takes it a step further by inserting military training. Yeah, into it's the all he knows though, isn't it? Yeah, It's true. all he knows. His second son, Loak, played mm. by Britton Dalton, is born with an extra finger, which makes him an outcast. Because he's he, like, how is that possible? Can I just say, can we just oh, like, fuck, I don't know, can man. we digress for a second? Yeah, sure. Because Jake is fully Navi now. Like he's in the Navi body. Yes. But yet some human DNA remains. And so his yeah. kid has five fingers. I think in the first film, they established that the avatar bodies are mixed with Navi and human DNA. Right. Hence the five fingers things. I'm not sure if they've got additional toes as well. Maybe they do. There's flanges going everywhere. <laughs> uh, and yeah, I guess because the mix of DNA between Natiri and Jake... Mm. means they spawn hybrid children. Right, mm. but just with an extra but finger. But just with an extra finger, you think there'd be a little more advanced biology there? Well, their faces do know. look a bit more humanoid. Human. That's they true. Do. Yeah, in the design. Yeah. Mm. But anyway, Loak is desperate to win his father's approval. Yeah. He feels like an outcast in everything he does, and, of course, that gets him into trouble because he makes some rash decisions. I He was my favourite character in the film. Yeah. I loved his story arc. 
and there's some beautiful connections and character work there that was really moving and mm. emotional. And I was always on his side. I, yeah. I wanted him to succeed, but then also shake him because he's he's a teenage boy. He's a bit stupid. A bit headstrong. Yeah, very headstrong. And stubborn. Yeah, I, I feel like they're setting him up to be a significant lead in future films. Yeah, mm. you might be right there. Mm. Then we also get Little Tuck. Oh, so cute. Little Duck, played by Trinity Jolie Bliss. She's the baby of the family, just yeah. kind of tagging along with everyone yeah. and fun. Wants to be part of everything yeah. that big kids do. It's such a youngest thing mm. to do that trying to catch up and keep up with, with, the, <laughs> with the big yeah. boys and girls. In, I mean, the youthful energy that they bring is just wonderful. It is. But it also adds some stakes to the drama and the conflict because you do have such a young person in peril. It really does. You also get Spider, who's played by Jack champion who's an orphan left behind because he was too young to travel that long space distant back to earth when all the humans got kicked off Mm. pandora Mm. he was quite an interesting character again he brought that stakes and he also brought that parallel father-son kind of dynamics which i won't go too much into yeah with with jake and his son and him wondering who his father is yes there's again a lot of character work there a few mysteries some interesting dynamics Mm. That was something, just the fact, I I had an issue, not with Spider as a character, but how he's there. All of a sudden there was this child born on Pandora in the first movie that we never saw. I mean, this is where you just have to be like, okay, that happened in the background and we weren't aware of it. But how many humans were on Pandora? And he's the one and only toddler that couldn't get back. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah. So these are things in the story where they obviously need to pad out some stuff. Yeah. And they're just like, okay, well, you're just going to have to accept. As a character, he really brought some depth to the story oh, in yeah. terms of, you know, he wasn't just an addition that was just following all the kids around. He had a special mm. relationship with Kiri, which I, I hope will be fleshed out in future films. Yeah, I and, feel it will. You know, they have a really, really special connection. I don't know whether it was romantic or just familial. They really looked out for each other and felt a kinship. Mm. And then, you know, towards the end of the film, the stakes are really high. He's involved. He's helping his adopted family, the Sullies. But there's a decision, a very pivotal decision that he makes yes. that pulls things in a different direction, which I think we'll see play out in the next film. It was significant, wasn't it? Yeah. It was very important. And mm. I was – I get it. I understand from a writing story perspective why that decision was made. Mm-hmm. But I was very surprised that it was made. He's a young kid trying to figure out his place in the world like Mm. so many of the kids in this movie. And, yeah, it's added some significant stakes for future instalments. It did make me wonder whether it's setting up repetition in the third movie. You know, like the the second movie, Mm. we're getting a lot of repetition in the themes and some of the villains and the direction that it goes in. I really hope they take it in a different direction for the third film, but it seemed like they were setting up more of the same, which I hope they don't. That's such a good point because they set up some really exciting stuff. But now after you've said that, like why are they setting up so many parallels to the second one for the third? You hope that they have enough difference in the story. I hope they will take it in a different direction, but I guess time will tell. But Spider is going to be a pivotal character for that to happen. Yep, yep, yep. Stephen Lang returns Mm. as Quaritch. Again, I don't know if we can talk about this. I don't want to spoil anything Mm. too much, but he is back in some capacity. He's the villain. He's back for revenge. I I loved his inclusion in this. I like the way they did it. Yes, it was clever. And I feel like I maybe wouldn't call it retconned, Because for me, I think it works in just how the humans approach the colonization of Pandora, Mm. that it would make sense that how they convince you that he's back was put in place. And it just adds a really interesting layer to the film for sure for me. And he's such a good fucking villain. He really is. Two new characters that are introduced. I just want to briefly touch on for a second. Brendan Cowell, Australian (laughs) actor Brendan Cowell and Jermaine Clement. Yeah. What did you think of them, Lee? I liked Jermaine Clement's inclusion. I didn't really love Brendan Cowles. I mean, you're not supposed to like him anyway. He's a bad man. Yeah, he's a self-serving captain. Jermaine Clement plays a marine biologist who I guess is morally conflicted about what he's doing there on Pandora. Yeah. They both have this really secret agenda. Mm. which sets up a whole nother thread as to why the humans are there. What did you think about that? Intrigued. It was a very hastily added plot point of difference. Mentioned, then never mentioned again. And it was a weird one too. But 
How, yeah, how did they figure that out? Yeah, is this something that's <laughs> going to be expanded in another film or do you think this was a plot of convenience? No, I, I think it's too exciting to just move on from. It will play a part okay. in future films. In what way, I don't know yeah. because they didn't give us enough to latch on to yeah. but enough for you to sit back and go, mm, okay, yeah. what you playing with here, Cameron? I'm not sure if we've given our listeners enough to go on. We can't really reveal what it is they're doing there but mm. Brendan Carroll's character is hunting a certain animal mm. for a certain resource and um, Jermaine Clement is a scientist that's helping him do that but he's also morally conflicted about whether he should be doing that but he's doing it anyway. Yeah. Yeah, so they, they touch on this and they add this new thread just right at the end that makes you go, huh? I, I sat up and listened. But no, there's one more thing about Brendan Cowell's performance that you did mention <laughs> to me offline. Can we talk about that just quickly? It's just the Australianness <laughs> of it, isn't it? Like, I loved it. Did you? Oh, yeah. God. Yeah. I so, loved it. It's so bogan. Australians come across as so bogan on screen when you're in an American film. And he's playing up to that, obviously. Oh, like yeah, the character is meant to be a douchebag. Mm. But it just <laughs> jars so much when you see this beautiful film. It's just how we also, as Aussies, react to hearing our own accent. And when it's dialed up to the bogan notch of 100, <laughs> the bogan it, it, notch. It's, ugh, it just makes your skin crawl just, it a, does. just a tad. It really does. <laughs> what did you think of Kate Winslet's character as Ronal? Oh. We can't go past without talking about Kate Winslet, mm. of course. I had trouble. Okay. I didn't look at who everyone was before I went in. Oh, okay. But I could pick it quite easily. Like mm-hmm. I said, you could pick Stephen Lang. You could yep. pick Jake. You know who Natiri is, blah, blah, blah. You know. But I couldn't pick who she was. Really? I wasn't sure if she was the daughter or if she was the ah. mother. And then, of course, she is. She's the matriarch of this new clan, this water clan. But, yeah, I couldn't quite pick her performance, which was so strange because they'd done such a good job with everyone else. I wonder why that was. I don't know. Could it be – I may be thinking about this too much, but she's a huge – star could have it been distracting for it to look like Kate Winslet is there maybe they paired back the the relatability to her features but I could see her in it you had to really concentrate though I mean I was really excited about seeing Kate Winslet in Mm. this film and much has been made of her seven minute 14 second long breath hold underwater did she get a lot of time underwater no see this is something I wanted to talk to you about Mm. there's been so much about her being able to hold her breath for as long as you said. And she's all over the marketing trail, just countless interviews, and that seems to be the only thing he's talking about. She's under the water for like 30 <laughs> seconds in this movie. She's barely under the bloody yeah. water. I will say one thing I absolutely loved was the fact that she's a very heavily pregnant yeah. character mm-hmm. and that it didn't stop her from getting right into battle, How flying good. out on her steed, attacking people, flipping, doing all sorts of, you know, like it just didn't slow her down at all. And I loved seeing that on screen. It felt very woman power to yeah. me. She was Fierce. She yep. knew what she wanted, how to lead her people. Yep. And it was the perfect role for Kate. And yeah. I do think that, again, she will feature more mm. in future films and, yep. and we'll just have to hold our breath for a little more than seven minutes, 14 seconds for it. There was a little moment where her partner, the, the clan chief, yep. did say, you should stay behind. And ah, she said, I will not. And yes. he was like, right, cool. Like yep. he didn't fight her on it at all. He was like, yep, no worries. That was it. That's a good piece Off of we writing go. there. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Off we go to battle <laughs> with a baby. All right, Lee. Yeah. We're talking about an Avatar film. Mm-hmm. So we need to talk about a few things that happen in camera, like special effects, yes. production design, yes. the, the action. Let's dive into this. So one thing that James Cameron wanted was to capture as much real as possible. Mm. So people diving into the water, moving around underwater. And so to do that, everyone filming underwater had to hold their breath instead of using a breathing apparatus. And I mean like people filming, Mm. lighting, all that kind of thing. Everyone from behind the scenes too, because bubbles create disturbances and reflections in the water. And he needed it to be crystal clear and still to be able to do what he wanted to do. So. You know, if you take Kate Winslet's seven minute and 14 second breath hold, Mm. and a lot of people probably wouldn't have got to that stage, that's all the time that they could work with in one shot, Mm. which is incredible when you think about it, how bitsy it must have been and how fiddly it must have been to get this film. Like, no wonder it took so long to film. Well, Sam Worthington has said in an interview that I watched that Mm. 
he could hold his breath for X amount of time. I'm not sure what the number was, but he preferred to stay down in the tank that they built and they would swim down and give him some breathing, da, da, da. Then he would prepare and go again. Like he would spend hours and hours underwater and never surface because that's how he preferred to work. Right. Yeah. He just, he just chilled underwater for a whole day's work. Wow. How bizarre. That one's interesting though. Yeah. It's so interesting. Yeah. And how ready the crew must have been to just go go at a moment's notice yeah. when the actors are ready they're about to hold their breath quickly mm. get moving like you'd have to be really on the ball did you see the video just to digress for a second we mentioned about kate winslet mm. and how fucking fierce and fabulous she is her record of holding a breath underwater that long did you see the video where she resurfaces <laughs> She's and like, she um, says am i dead <laughs> am i dead have <laughs> i died oh my god yeah. i just cannot imagine where your mind and body would take you to in that moment yeah. That freaks me out, completely freaks me out. One other thing that's interesting is there was two production designers on this film, whereas normally you'd only have one. Mm. So Dylan Cole did most of the work for Pandora and everything that was Navi, and then Ben Proctor was brought in for all the human stuff and the tech side, which I think is a really smart way to do it because they are two completely different worlds. Mm. So it makes sense that you would have two completely different people working on them. Yeah. Turned out really well, I think. Yeah, because there was a a focused task for both those production designers to really deliver the look and feel of that world versus the other world. I think it's genius and testament to Cameron building out a a crew in order to deliver his significant vision for this story and these characters. The design of the characters themselves, so the Metkayina, is that how you say it? Yeah, about that. That's the water tribe. Mm. Physically different to the Na'vi. They've got wider tails uh, hands and rib cages to sort of help them survive underwater for long periods. So they need mm. a bigger lung capacity basically yes. to be able to stay underwater. I think that's really clever. It is clever. And you know how they dealt with it from a story perspective, they weren't listing out all these differences or things. You just got to discover it as you saw them in yeah. their environment and in their element. There were, you know, the arms I didn't realize until maybe 10 minutes into meeting them when you saw them swimming around, I thought, oh, okay, that's interesting. Okay, that makes sense. It all adds up in terms of their environment. It's utterly convincing. And it just adds more depth and layer to the difference in in these people and their strengths and weaknesses as a result. Even in the creatures that inhabit this part of the world too. Mm. So whereas the Na'vi fly on these dragon-like creatures or dinosaur-looking things, you know, the Metkina have these water-based creatures who can be above the water or below so they can fly. They also use their tails like rudders to navigate through the water, which I thought was incredible. The way they moved on the surface of the water was mesmerising. And and also a visual spectacle because when Mm. you pull back and you look at them all charging to battle or whatever, it's just this wonderful visual Mm. of them all approaching with the wings and the tails in the back and then (laughs) they're diving in. It's like it's just – it's made for cinema, these character designs. These creature designs. Yeah, you've also got the Tulkin, one called Payakun that can communicate with the Metkina. Well, they, I think they all can. I think the, all the creatures can communicate. Yeah, they tell stories yeah. with each other and sing and things like yeah. that. It's beautiful. So these giant like whale-like creatures, and Jake's son Loak forms a special bond with an outcast mm. one of them, which I didn't fully believe why this Tulkin was an outcast. Like that seemed a bit convenient for him to bond with Jake's son. Yeah, they. They have their own mini backstory and everyone's interpretation of it. I did find that component a little clunky, but I believed the bond and relationship that that grew between them. And it it was very unexpected, but it was utterly convincing in the world of Pandora that there would be that sort of connection between a creature and an RV person. And they communicate using a special sign language that was created actually for the film. Of course. They created their language, sign language. How awesome is that? The level of detail and planning and creation that goes into these films, Mm. it really is something to behold. And I know a lot has been said about the technical aspects over the story. And there's some people who are out of the school of thought that that doesn't make a film just because it's technically good. You know, like a film being broken down for parts basically is not a film. Sure. And that's what we were doing by raving about the technical aspects because Mm. that's not the sum of the whole. Mm. But I just think that's, as I said before, what these films have become. Yeah. They are technical visual spectacles. And there wasn't a shot out of place. Everything was perfection. I've never seen 
CGI, special effects, visual mm. effects like has been delivered in this movie. And Cameron is always pushing the envelope of what is technically and creatively possible. It's mm. what makes him one of the greats, I think. Yeah. All the directors that I admire, Peter Jackson, Steven Spielberg, James Cameron, they're all pushing the boundaries of what filmmaking can do and pushing yeah. themselves and pushing their teams. Mm. You know, is this tech advancement for the sake of it? That's the big question. I don't think so. No. He really had to stay ahead of the game with this one. And as I said, you know, he gathered his team to make sure that they all did better. And he mm. has delivered better. He has. He's somehow, I don't know how he does it, he's somehow <laughs> raised the bar that he originally set. Yes. And then everyone else is going, ah, oh, fuck, he's done it again. <laughs> I mean, you can imagine all these other studios and directors and creatives going, oh, do we, oh my God, we have yeah. to, we have to meet those dizzy heights now. Yeah. Oh my goodness. And then there's also that tall poppy syndrome that, you know, he's done yeah. so well, let's poke holes in it, which is what we're doing. True. Like that's what criticism, film well, I mean, criticism that's what, is. That's yeah. what we're here to do. We're here to talk about the whole product, but also calling out the things that really worked and some things that don't. Yeah. yeah. So I saw it in 3D in mm-hmm. high frame rate. Did you also see it in No, that? no. And there's a reason oh, behind that. Yeah. So I decided that high frame rate wasn't for me. Just a very quick anecdote. I saw the first Hobbit film in high frame rate mm-hmm. back in 2012 when that came out and it totally took me out of it. I found it unwatchable i fucking hated it i barely looked at the screen and i had to go and see it again also the film wasn't great either so that that played (laughs) a part in it so i decided i thought the only option in all the screenings that i could try and get myself to see they were in 3d and high frame rate it came as a Mm -hmm. pair Mm -hmm. and i thought look i really want to see this movie in 3d but I'm not going to endure a high frame rate experience because I know it's just not something I can handle. Okay, well, one thing I will point out to you, having seen it in 3D and high frame rate and and agreeing with everything you said, I did find The Hobbit jarring as well, Mm. not to the degree that you did because I I love those films and Lord of the Rings and everything. It's It's always a winner for me. But it was used sparingly. Okay. Well, okay, look, not sparingly. That's probably not the right word. But most of the underwater scenes mm-hmm. are filmed in high frame rate okay. to give it that extra something, which, look, it can sometimes make it feel acutely like you're watching one of those video game trailers, yeah, you know, that nah. moves really, really fast. Not for me, mate. But it, No, but it really helps with the fluidity of how everything moves underwater. Although they say it's filmed in high frame rate, it's not all filmed in high frame rate. Okay. But even one little bit of that 48 frames per second puts you off. Yeah. Yeah, nah, you probably won't like it. Mm. But I will say it's not the whole film. Yeah, okay. Look, I don't know. I'm definitely going to see this movie again. I've got to make a decision whether I go down the high frame rate rabbit hole or not. I think you should see it in 3D. I think you have to have that experience. Okay, talk to me about the 3D. Obviously, a lot has developed in that technology since Avatar, you know. Yeah, yeah brought it to life again. Again, it's not what it used to be. You know, when 3D technology came out, it was all about, ooh, things coming out of the screen of you. gimmicky shit. Now it's more about immersing you in the experience rather than things coming at you. It's not a a theme park ride. Mm. It's more about bringing you into this world. And I think he's used it in a really successful way that does that. Okay, good. I'm really glad to hear that. Especially in battle scenes and things when flames and burning stuff is falling down around you or when you're in the water and you're seeing these beautiful jellyfish kind of float by. Mm-hmm. It's really mesmerising and I okay. enjoyed it immensely. So, yeah. I will, I will say there were a couple of high frame rate moments where my eyes kind of went blah, blah, blah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly the sentiment yeah. I felt. Yeah, but I think you should do it. Okay, all right. I'll do it for you. Yeah, do it. One interesting thing that I want to talk about, you asked how he does it. Okay. Right, this Cameron, is, how he just yeah. does it. <laughs> <laughs> this, is, this is one little insight into how this film was filmed. Okay. So he actually directed the final product through a virtual camera. Hmm. Let me see if I can explain this properly. Yeah. So instead of like looking at the box that the director usually sits in and watches the action happen in front of him, he looked through a virtual camera, which actually was set up within the world of Pandora as it would be. What? So then the actors were placed into this world while they're doing their action and he is directing everyone in character as they would look. Like obviously a cruder version, it's not as polished, mm. but he's directing within this world set up. Fucking hell. Right? And then it gets sent to Weta, 
one of the most amazing special effects houses. Mm. It got sent there for tweaking and polishing to turn it into what we see. But That's that must amazing. have really helped him see yeah. where the camera would be placed in this world. So it's not like you're guessing and then later on the, the special effects, visual effects team has to try and match what you wanted it to look like. Mm. He can see and go, no, let's move the camera in a different position. I want to see this angle. I want to see this rainforest. I want to see this whatever. Wow. So it's closer to reality. Gosh, that's pretty extraordinary. I think that's pretty cool. That is really cool. <laughs> no wonder it took 13 years right? for this movie to come out. The amount of behind-the-scenes work that had to happen before the actors even stepped on set. I mean, get a load of this. They started filming this movie back in 2017. Right. Like, that was an age ago. Yeah. You consider how much has happened in the world. Uh, since 2017 or even 2020 at this mm-hmm. point, you know, like bloody hell, it's like half a decade ago. One thing I do really, really want to talk about is just this just stood out to me for some reason. I don't know why. Mm-hmm. The design of the one man attack submarines. So yeah. there's a big battle scene. The humans have remade a base on Earth near the water. They've got these submarine submersible things. They were incredible. Like yeah. The way they moved in and out of the water, like that wasn't, Probably in camera stuff, or some of it was maybe well, in camera. I don't see, know. Look, I uh, I have an eye for this. You know, I do. Mm. I have an eye for what is real and what isn't. And I'm not saying this just to live in this world of hyperbole and overzealousness because I love this movie so much. I couldn't fucking tell the difference. Yeah, I could. I couldn't tell you. And isn't that amazing? I literally felt like we were on the goddamn ocean out there. Yeah, on the ocean. <laughs> It, was, it wasn't filmed in a tank. I'm sorry. I don't believe it. Yeah. They filmed this damn movie out on the ocean. That's how utterly convincing this film looked to me. Yeah. It, you're absolutely right. It was completely convincing. And it makes Pandora itself a character yeah. within Real. this film. You know, the moon, it has its different ecosystems, its landscapes. It's like Earth. And, you know, well, with the exception of the future film in which we're going to see Earth. Yeah. You cotton on to that yeah. piece of news James Cameron had said in an interview. Yeah. So, but we'll mostly be exploring this world further. Honestly, I can't wait. Honestly, what else is out there for us to experience? Like He's so going to show much. us. Yeah. <laughs> I bet he will. I've no doubt in my mind. Let's wrap up our review of Avatar The Way of Water because we could talk about this one all day. I know. <laughs> all right. So, Avatar The Way of Water is cinema. I remained hopeful that it would live up to the scale, scope and spectacle of the original. It is better than the original in every way possible. It is a deeply emotional, powerful story with rich characters paired with the best visual effects in a movie I've ever seen. It is not without its flaws as we've discussed, but I cannot wait for audiences to see this film and see it again and again, because I'll be right there with them. I'm going to see it again. Yeah, we should see it together because we didn't We didn't get to see it together. We didn't, unfortunately. Oh, look, bring on Avatar 3, 4 and 5 because I'm calling it. They're going to make them. And buckle up because we're not in Kansas anymore, friends, and simply can never bet against James Cameron. He has a mighty ride in store for us now and into the future. So let's enjoy it. I'm going to rate Avatar the way of water four and a half popcorn kernels. There you go. Avatar has such a strong connection to people because of its beauty and to create and experience something that looks so beautiful is an emotional experience in itself. Everything about Avatar from the colour, the lighting, the story and design is crafted to immerse us in this world completely and evoke a very specific emotional response to every frame. And The Way of Water certainly does that holistically does it make it better than the original in some technical ways yes but with a simplistic story and character arcs that are often sidelined in favor of the visual spectacle it sometimes plays i guess more like a doco like exploration of this fictional world or a technology showcase than a movie Sometimes. Sometimes. I I can point out a few moments of the film where it certainly felt like that way. Yeah, It probably didn't need to be more than three hours long, but when the only thing alerting you to its runtime is a toilet break. (laughs) Did you make it? No, I had to go. I made it. I made it. Oh, my God. So Cameron is definitely doing a lot right. This has made me so excited for what comes next and whether this level of cinema experience is truly sustainable because that's Mm. what cinema is all about. Yep. I'm giving it four popcorn kernels out of five. Hey, I love that wrap-up, Lee. Well, Avatar The Way of Water is in Australian cinemas from December 15. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods 
for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. All right, there's so much to discuss this week, but we're just going to pull out a few of the top headlines. So we're kicking off our news and trailers section with arguably the most explosive news story of the week, the future of the DCU and the plan that is starting to take shape, albeit with some shocking collateral damage. Indeed. I was shook. uh, Yeah, I've been shook all night long this week. So co-CEOs of DC Studios, James Gunn and Peter Safran, have been working hard to carve out a 10-year plan for the DCU across film, TV, animation and more, with some of their decisions being announced already to mixed fan feedback. They've sort of been forced to reveal some stuff because there's so many rumours floating around. Yeah, there are. Yeah, so the plan is to share more in the new year, but let's just list off a couple of things that are known for sure right now. Okay, so it was revealed that Gunn is planning a young Superman project. Therefore, the casting of Henry Cavill as Superman no longer works in that plan. And Cavill has shared that he will no longer don the red cape. This is particularly awkward given that he was told by the studio to announce his return as soups off the back of his cameo in Black Adam only two months ago. Yeah, that's pretty awkward and I'm, I'm crying tears of sadness. This has made me so sad because I love Henry Cavill as Superman. I think he's the iconic Superman. I was mm. so excited to see him coming back. He quit The Witcher apparently for it. Yeah. Liam Hemsworth took his role. Oh, good. He's like, can I come back? (laughs) (laughs) I know. It's really, really sad. I mean, look, this doesn't mean that we'll never see him again. Mm. They haven't definitively said he's not going to do anything as Superman. Or did he? I don't know. He kind of said farewell to the role. But, I mean, if they're doing a young Superman project, it doesn't mean he won't pop up elsewhere. Yeah. I'm I'm, I'm holding on to like this smidgen of hope. Let's just live in that hope for Um, a little longer. Let me be delusional. (laughs) Right now, there are four upcoming DCU films scheduled for release next year, including The Flash. Are we ever going to see this Flash? I don't really care, to be honest. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Put it in the non-care basket. It is currently unknown whether these stories will factor into guns plans, but it seems unlikely that they will. And further this week, we talked about it last week, but Patty Jenkins has clarified her position on Wonder Woman 3 after talk that her treatment was knocked back as it didn't align with the 10-year plan for the DCU or that she walked away because she didn't want to rework it. Mm. So Jenkins has clarified she was open to working on Wonder Woman 3 but understands that there was nothing she could do at this time while they're still planning things out and she's actively working on the Rogue Squadron Star Wars film still, which we thought was canned, but yeah. she's gone back to that. Yeah, I, I thought it was canned as well. It seems like she's been pulled between these two projects and not really knowing which one's going to go first and what's going to happen. And now they've said, okay, well, Wonder Woman 3 is not a high priority mm. and she's gone back to Rogue Squadron. Gosh, I, yeah, th- this is the collateral damage that we don't want to see. But look, also, Lee, given Cavill's recasting, what does this mean for Ben Affleck's Batman and Gal Gadot's Wonder Woman, could it mark the end of their time in the DCU as well? I sincerely hope not for Gal Gadot. Mm. Ben Affleck's Batman, did we see enough of it to really... They teased more than gave us stuff. Yeah, I think so. And look, well, we did get two films, I guess, with him, but they were... Shit. (laughs) (laughs) Look, I I wouldn't be upset if... I I liked Ben Affleck as Batman and Bruce Wayne, but I, whatever, move on. I'm fine. I mean, Gunn has also said that he wants to find a directing project for Affleck. So, Mm. you know, that could be compensation for his scrapped Batman. He'll get to work behind the camera. And he's a great director. Absolutely. In a city of millions, Tim, no one hears you scream. 
But that's right. We got a teaser, <laughs> Taylor, for the next instalment in the wildly successful Scream franchise this week, which seems to be officially titled Scream 6. You know, this really shits me and confuses me. <laughs> Why? Because we had four Scream movies, right, from yeah. 1996 to 2011, aptly named Scream, Scream mm-hmm. 2, Scream 3, Scream 4. Mm-hmm. And then Scream 5 was just called Scream again, which drives me mad. Just like <laughs> ha- the Halloween reboot back in 2018 was just called Halloween yeah. rather than Halloween 2. And then now they're like, oh, no, let's call this next one Scream 6. It's like, what does that mean? Is what it retcon to be, ta- to be called Scream 5 now? Oh, I don't know. Fucking hell. So this one is once again directed by Matt Bettinelli, Olpen and Tyler Gillett. But in this film, the survivors of the ghost face killings leave Woodsboro behind. All of them, apparently. They've all just mass moved (laughs) to New York to start a new chapter. Which, does that excite you? I think it's strange. Like, why now? I don't know how believably they're going to say that all of these people moved to New York. I mean, yeah, actually, (laughs) now I've got a seed of doubt there. It does seem bizarre, doesn't it? Yeah. But returning in this film are Melissa Barrera, Jenna Ortega, the OG Courtney Cox, Mm -hmm. Jasmine Savoy Brown, Mason Gooding, and also returning to the franchise for the first time since... 2011's Scream 4 is Hayden Panettiere mm. with Aussie star Samara Weaving also joining them. Yeah, and Avatar The Way of Water's Jack yes. Champion who played Spider in the film. Look, so this is the very first time the franchise has taken the action out of Woodsboro, like we said, since 2000 Scream 3, which was set in Hollywood. Yeah. And sadly, the first in the franchise that won't have Neve Campbell's final girl, Sydney Prescott, battling Ghostface after a pay dispute saw her decline to return to the franchise she has been involved in since the very beginning. They really should have thrown more money at that problem. Oh, she deserves it. This really, um, I will never get over it because where my brain goes mm. is one, how dare they? She's mm. integral to this franchise. How can you have a screen movie without Sydney Prescott? Yeah. I mean, she's not dead yet. No. Uh, hopefully they don't kill her off, off camera because that will just fucking oh, shit me to death. Better not. But what does that mean that they had to change to the story? I'll be thinking about, but if Sydney Prescott was in it, how different mm. would the action play out? And I, I won't be able to get myself out of that headspace. Look, she wasn't in it a ton in Scream 5 anyway. No. Scream. Call it Scream. Oh, <laughs> triggering for me. Yeah. But I guess at some point they are trying to move this franchise in a new direction, move it away from the OGs. Yeah, I get that. But not in this way, I'm sorry. But I mean, if Halloween could keep bringing Laurie Strode back and making her the centre of everything, like why couldn't they do that with Sydney Prescott? Yeah, but we all know how that ended. <laughs> Absolute dog's fucking breakfast. <laughs> what a disaster. Well, Scream 6 is expected in Australian cinemas in March 2023, so we don't have long to wait. They've turned that around pretty fast. Yeah, they have. They have. It's quite a trope of horror films. They just pump them out. Yeah. This next trailer just made it in time for us to discuss today, and boy, are we glad we can because, friends, it is Greta Gerwig's Barbie. Woo woo! <laughs> woo woo indeed. I'm so excited. That's right. We got the first teaser of Margot Robbie as Barbie, and doesn't she look fucking incredible? Oh my god. Uh, we got Ryan Gosling as Ken, who also looks incredible, with glimpses of Simu Liu and Issa Rae. Everyone's looking fantastic in yep. this film. It's a glorious mix of pastel, dance, summer, shine, <laughs> happiness. Spirit fingers. Yes. Everything. We didn't get much, but what we got made an impact. Yeah. But it isn't all rainbows and lollipops, as the short trailer opens with a homage to Stanley Kubrick's 2001's A Space Odyssey, which I just didn't see coming. No. So we see a group of young girls playing with their baby dolls in a like rocky desert mm. environment. Think 2001 Space Odyssey opening yeah. with all the apes and things, until a towering Barbie in her iconic striped swimsuit spurs them to destroy their old playthings for the hot new thing. And doesn't <laughs> she look so good just t- towering over them in that iconic swimsuit. And I will never be the same again after that wink. Oh, <laughs> it, I can't wait to see this. Like the trailer didn't give us much. It was like 30 seconds yeah, or something. so sure. Perfect teaser. Yeah. But also, what the hell are they going to do with this film? What What's is the story? On? What is happening? I want to know. I need oh, to know. I need to know. <laughs> but how long till it's out, Lee? We uh, don't have to wait too long. It's too long. <laughs> Still too long. Okay. Still too long. Can't please you. Barbie is due to hit Australian cinemas in July of 2023. Okay, Lee. 
Let's wrap up our final regular episode of the year with some awards news. The Golden Globe nominations that were announced this week are what we're going to dive into right now. So the Globes are coming back after an embattled couple of years in which actors boycotted the event and the Hollywood Foreign Press Association, who organises the ceremony, overhauled its membership and practices to be more reflective and inclusive of modern times. Time will tell. Mm. There are many actors and professionals, though, who still won't attend. So it's going to be interesting to see how this 80th ceremony is received in January and whether it can continue. Yeah, that's that's the question, isn't it? Yeah. Either way, the Globes are often seen as an indication of how the Oscar nominations will play out. So let's just highlight some of the nominees across the key categories and unpack what this means for the award season as a whole. Yeah, so the biggest one, obviously, is Best Motion Picture Drama. We've got Avatar, The Way of Water, Elvis, The Fablemans, Tar, and Top Gun Maverick. Oh, excited that Top Gun's in there. I'm really excited it's in there too. Are there any major ones missing from there? Mm, Well, I mean, if you pair it up with the Best Picture for Comedy or Musical, maybe list those out and then we can discuss. So So in that one, you've got Babylon, The Banshees of Indesharan, Everything Everywhere All at Once. Yeah. Glass Onion, A Knives Out Mystery and Triangle of Sadness. I think the leaders in this one are obviously the Fablemans, Top Gun Maverick, yeah. Elvis. Everything Everywhere. Everything Everywhere and the Banshees of Inner Sharon, which is actually leading the awards tally if you look mm. at the awards season overall. It's doing yeah. really, really well. Our review of the Fablemans will be coming out in the new year, but I feel like that could become a bit of an awards winning Darling, potentially. The box office on it has slowed Awful. down. Yeah. It's made like $7 million in the US. That's it. I mean, it hasn't come out worldwide yet either. No, that's but true. yeah, it's not doing as well as what they'd hoped. So, I mean, Top Gun Maverick could be the front runner. Although there is some history there with Tom Cruise because mm. he's not nominated for Best Performance by an Actor in right. a Motion Picture Drama. Mm. We've got Austin Butler for Elvis, Brendan Fraser for The Whale, Hugh Jackman for The Sun, Bill Nye for Living and Jeremy Pope for The Inspection. So, like as I said, notable absence is mm. Tom Cruise considering Top Gun Maverick was nominated. Yeah. However, Cruise did return all three of his Golden Globe Awards last year in protest of the lack of diversity. So you can speculate as to why he isn't in this list. And, and just to add to that complex scenario, Brendan Fraser is nominated, right, for The Whale. And given his experience with the Hollywood Foreign Press Association in which he accused former president Philip Burke of groping him and the fact that Fraser has already said he will not attend the ceremony, even if nominated, makes Cruz's omission even more surprising. Yeah. What are they trying to do? I don't know. Cruz is a bigger name. If I was cynical, I mean, like a lot of these people are very deserving of their nomination. But you have to wonder how many were nominated to get some big names to come to the ceremony. That is what the Golden Globes are known for. I I always bring it back to this moment. The Angelina Jolie and... Johnny Depp film, The Tourist, yes, which is a god-awful movie. And it was nominated for Best Picture and they were both nominated for actors in their respective categories just to get them there. I mean, I think Angelina Jolie was paired with Brad Pitt at the time. There was just all – they were tabloid fodder. So, I mean, that's just what Hollywood Foreign Press are like. But they're meant to have overhauled these kind of practices. Yes. Not in every way, it seems. (laughs) Let's talk about best performance by an actress Mm. in a motion picture drama. We have Ozzy's Kate Blanchett for a performance in Tar, Olivia Coleman in Sam Mendes' Empire of Light, Viola Davis, yes, for The Woman King, Anna de Armas in Blonde, which is an interesting inclusion there because Mm. that film copped a lot of critical attention, and Michelle Williams as playing Steven Spielberg's mother in The Fablemans. Now that you mentioned The Woman King, I'm surprised The Woman King wasn't nominated. There's also a film called Till, which hasn't come out in Australia yet, Mm -hmm. so we haven't seen that, but there's a lot of talk about that one should have been nominated. Right, yeah, so a few omissions here. And also no films directed by women. Ah, fuck. Come on. Come on. And which is Till is directed by a woman, so is The Woman King. Yeah. Okay, that's so disappointing. It is a little bit. Because mm, a great movie, The Woman King. I want to talk about the best performance by an actress in a supporting role. Angela Bassett is nominated for Black Panther, Wakanda yeah. Forever. What's really notable about that is that Angela Bassett has made history as the first Marvel actor to be nominated for a major award. Oh. Because the superhero flicks 
are often ignored during award season. Well, Black Panther has received a lot of love, the original one. Yes. But yeah, generally superhero flicks aren't included. And so this is really exciting. That is, ex- she is fucking amazing in Wakanda Forever. Can she take it up against Kerry Condon in the Banshees of Inner Sharon, mm. Jamie Lee Curtis and Everything Everywhere all at once, Kerry Mulligan for She Said, Dolly DeLeon for Triangle of Sadness. I actually think she can take it. Really? Angela Bassett? Yeah. I reckon her stiffest competition is Jamie Lee Curtis. Really? Yeah, 100%. Okay. Yeah, Because right. she's campaigning hard and people just rave about that movie in general, but her performance as well as Michelle Yeoh too. Yeah. Best director. Let's yeah. wrap up with that one, okay? Nice one. So James Cameron, Avatar, The Way of Water, of course. Yeah. <laughs> Daniel Kwan and Daniel Scheinhardt, also known as The Daniels, for Everything Everywhere All at Once. Baz Luhrmann for Elvis, Martin mm. McDonough for The Banshees of Inner Sharon and Steven Spielberg for The Fablemans. Oh, on, on prestige alone, I would say James Cameron or Steven Spielberg, but I think the Daniels could take it. I think they've got it in the bag. Yeah. But what a lineup of directors oh, here against amazing work. And also maybe Martin McDonough because The Banshees of Inner Sharon, as I said, is mm. overall the most nominated film yes. at the Golden Globes and in awards season in general. See, I think he will take like the writing awards and things like yeah, that. Yeah, you think so? Yeah. Everything Everywhere All at Once is following a close second with like six nominations at the Golden Globes. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that one's doing really well as well. Oh, it's pretty exciting. It is. So the Golden Globes is hosted by comedian Jared Carmichael and will air in Australia on Wednesday, January 11th. Well, Tim, that brings season eight of Popcorn Podcast to a close. You can see Avatar The Way of Water in Australian cinemas from December 15. Now, just let us get sentimental for a moment. (laughs) Thank you all for your support during 2022. It means so much to us that you have listened and shared Popcorn Podcast with friends and family. Every like, every review and listen helps us keep going. But don't worry, guys, even though we're going on break for a couple of weeks, we already have some salty bite-sized episodes lined up to drop during the holidays because we couldn't leave you high and dry. No. Not during one of the busiest movie seasons of the year. We're just going to be off in the whole holidays just watching movies constantly. (laughs) Horizontal. (laughs) (laughs) And there are very exciting things coming for season nine. So if you haven't hit that follow button yet, make sure you do and we'll see you in 2023. Happy holidays from the whole Popcorn Podcast team. We love you. And as always, signing off for the last time this year, thank you so much for listening. We'll catch you next time. We have a website, popcornpodcast.com. Make sure you check it out. We've got all our episodes up there for you to listen to. If you'd like to get to know us a little better, there's an About Us section. And we run ticket giveaways, so keep an eye on the website for more information. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. 
Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.